All right. Um, did anybody notice the beautiful weather today? Okay, so I'm one of those people that kind of gets depressed. Uh, and I can say that it's a serious thing, but it's, it's also very common where if it's really dreary for a few days, my mood totally changes. Anybody else like that? So inevitably, we pray for, oh, let's have some, let's this rain go away and we have some beautiful weather. And then we have it on a day like today. Um, and sometimes I take advantage of it. And sometimes this is what I do. Ugh, now it's going to get hot. I'm going to get sunburned. I got to put my sunglasses on. And I wear glasses, so my glasses are transitions, but sometimes I have to wear, like, extra prescription sunglasses. I got to put the shades down in my house. I want to take a nap after I just complained about this. Um, And so I think that is how I am with God sometimes. And I'm mentioning this. This was not actually part of my planned sermon for tonight, but I was thinking about it on the car ride over here, how I do this, sometimes especially with sunlight, Um, as my closest friends like to point out, I talk how much I just wish it were sunny and then it is. And then I just go take a nap in my bed. Um, and so I think this is how I treat God. Sometimes I pray for blessings. I pray for guidance. I say, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Show me. And he shows me, but it didn't like how I thought it was going to be. And so I kind of back off, um, And so I I just wanted to share that with y'all. I wasn't really planning on it, but kind of just sitting there singing, worshiping. I really wanted to put that out there because I don't think I'm alone in this and that we pray for understanding. And then when we do, it scares us and we go, "Mm, not like that. Next week, next Monday, I'll start. So, um, So here's something. Um, We have a core practice. Anybody think they could name all five? So most of you know me, but a few of you might not know that my day job is teaching high school math. And so this is different for me. Um, I really think teaching calculus is a lot easier than teaching the Word of God. Um, But the good thing is, yeah, of course it is. Um, But uh, it's okay because we got the Holy Spirit. Um, But it is... Hard for me, just, I'm just going to be honest with y'all, because I have so much interaction in my class, um, and so it is different getting up here. So feel free to interact as much as possible. And if I get on to you for having your cell phone out, it's just habit, sorry. I teach high school. <laughs> it's an ongoing battle. So we have our core practices. And uh, last week, anybody want to say what Adam preached on? Follow Jesus. All right, and so tonight we're going to talk about love neighbor, and so um, this is an interesting one because it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of like how we named our church, so what more is there to say except a lot because Jesus talked about this a lot. So this core practice says, we commit to love others as ourselves regardless of race, background, ethnicity, orientation, or status. You can see it up here. And I want you to think about that. I mean, this is, we have our partnership covenants or agreements or covenants. um, And this is something we as a church, this is one of our five core practices. This is something, if you're a member of our church, you are are agreeing to. Um, And so I really want you to think about these words. Is there something on there that strikes you as, uh, that better not mean what I think it means or 
um, I'm really good at that one. Or my father-in-law, and I can say this because I don't have a father-in-law, so I'm not offending anyone. My father-in-law really needs to hear this because he doesn't know how to do any of that. I think those are some of the thoughts we get when we read words like this. And so I just want you to accept that. If you feel a feeling, feel it, okay? That could just be the Holy Spirit nudging something in you. And so when we think about loving others, specifically loving neighbors, um, that's, that is how we phrase it, um, there's kind of just some big questions about who is my neighbor and how do I love them? Do I love them with my heart? Do I love them with my mind? Do I love them by serving? And that's so open-ended. So people have really struggled with this throughout Christianity and before, even the Israelites. So I want to start with just a little story. And some of you might not know this about me, but I grew up in kind of a small town. It's not a small town anymore, but at the time it was, Cedar Hill, Texas. And I lived in a house that was built on my grandfather's land. So my dad's parents built a house, and then when my parents got married, they, they were married very young, and my grandfather gifted my parents' land, half of his property, and helped them build a house. So we have this little country property, and when I say country, I mean it. I'm talking chickens, a pony, sheep. Okay, that was me. That was little Toby in the 1980s. Um, and she was great. Um, no, I'm just kidding. She's like how you probably think she was. Um, but I bring this up because, like, when people said neighborhood or neighbors, my neighbors were literally my grandparents, my dad's parents, of whom I was one of two grandchildren and the only girl and the youngest. So you can imagine the spoiling that went on in that. And it was, it was glorious, okay? <laughs> Living next door to your grandparents. I highly recommend it for kids. Um, and so I really grew up having a very skewed way of thinking about neighbor and neighborhoods and like, who is my neighbor? Well, Nanny and Pop were my neighbor. Okay. So I really loved them and they really loved me. There was another house on the other side. So we have my grandparents and Nanny and Pop. We have me and my family. And then there were neighbors over here, but there was a fence and a lot of trees and there was no give and take, okay? I didn't even, I was, as I was thinking about this, I didn't even really consider them to be my neighbors. They lived way over there. I mean, I could see their house from my back porch, so they really weren't that far away. But they were way over there. And then at some point, there actually were neighbors on the other side of my grandparents that moved into this property that, that um, I thought my grandparents owned, but they didn't own it. Someone else owned it and sold it, and it had been vacant for like forever. And then these other people moved in, and we kind of thought of them as like invaders. They were invaded because they built their house really close over there, and there was no fence. There were no trees, and there was still no relationship. So if the wheels are turning in your mind about where I'm going with this, let that happen because there's a lot of analogy here. So that was my childhood. I was actually a horrible neighbor, even to my grandparents. I took and I did not give, except just the joy of them having me as a granddaughter, I guess. But I didn't really give them. I didn't serve them in any way. 
And that's really how my mind shaped neighbor and neighborhood. And all of you have a probably not the same experience, although maybe you do, but probably a, a different experience, but you have something that was mm, maybe not Christ-like about how you interpreted your neighbors, and you got to realize that that affects how you um, interpret this word now. So who is my neighbor? That is how I thought about neighbors for a long time. So then I went on, and I, um, I went to college, and my address always stayed, my parents' house, all through college, normal, okay? I had an apartment, I had a lease, I had an electric bill, I had a water bill, but my address was still my parents'. I never considered that apartment home. It was always my parents' house was my home. Nanny and Pop were still my neighbors. I even had roommates in college, and that's a whole other thing. Those are sometimes the hardest people to love, um, and because it's, you're just figuring it out for the first time. And I'm telling you this because I did not really ever consider any of those neighbors in college to be my neighbors. I didn't really, that wasn't my home, you know? So then I graduate college, and I get a job, um, and I go move into another apartment. Um, and I didn't know any of my neighbors for a long time. And then I met one, and he invited me to church. And it was a different life of this church. And that's how I came to be part of this community, was because a literal neighbor invited me in. And he had to invite me several times. Just so you know, we have heard these stories of lots of people. It doesn't always happen on the first time. Um, And I really became part of a group of people. um, And I not only really learned what neighbor is, um, I opened my mind of, you know, I don't live at my parents' house anymore. I'm not a child. I'm an adult. I need to grow up. And um, that process, you know, that's something you work through for the rest of your life. And so these different iterations of me, you may resonate with one of those. And I just want you to think about it and understand how that affects how you think about this word, neighbor, neighborhood. So who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about that. Um, however, I wanted, I want to give you a quote. There's no slide for this, but it's a quote I found online and I thought it was hilarious, um, in a bad way. It's, it's by Carl Sandburg. If any of you know him, he's an American writer, you know, from last century. And, um, he says, love your neighbor, believe up the fence. Love your neighbor, but leave up the fence. That's pretty standard for the American culture. And that has definitely seeped into the church culture, Christian culture. We can't say that it doesn't. We have to fight that. Um, I had literal fences in my early childhood of neighbors, but there were also lots of figurative fences moving on. We all do. We all have figurative fences when it comes to those around us. Who we're willing to put time and energy in. You don't even have to say the love word. Just who are you willing to put time and energy in? There's certain people you're not as willing to love them as you are others. So this loving neighbor thing is very old. It is in the Old Testament. Anybody know where it's at in the Old Testament? Okay, so it's in Leviticus. Highly popular book. Recommend that you read it. It's other places as well. Not, I'm kind of kidding. But in Leviticus 19... 
I want to make sure I read this. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the Israelites, they heard this phrase, love neighbor. They knew, they knew it. Um, did they know what it meant? Even Israelites then probably, but definitely the Jewish community today still, still, still argue over, does this, is this saying not bearing a grudge means you are loving your neighbor or is loving your neighbor taking it a step further? And I'm not going to get into all that because that's not my area of expertise. I'm not qualified and we really don't have time. And at the end of the day, Jesus is going to trump all of what that says. So, um, they didn't know what, who is my neighbor? We know that because someone's going to ask. All right, so Jesus comes on the scene and this idea of the greatest commandment. You guys have heard this. You know what the greatest commandment is? Loving God. That seems to be an easy one. Everybody agrees that that's important. And we still disagree on exactly how that works out. Um, but it says the second is like it. And it's, in, it's not just in Luke. Um, but I want you to understand that this was something that comes up. If you were to say, Google Bible love neighbor, there would be lots of Bible verses that would come up. All right, so I've picked out Luke 10. Um, It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so I'm going to read this. It's up on the screen. Feel free to open up your own Bible, especially if it's a different translation. So this is Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But... He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? If you've never thought about why that man asked who is my neighbor, again, lots of people have different beliefs on this, but it is kind of an interesting thing. If this was something that they said in their community all the time, surely they had already talked about this. So whether he was testing Jesus to see, Jesus, are you going to say what I think you say? Or whether maybe he really did want to hear Jesus' answer, okay? It doesn't really matter. It just goes to show that even then, they didn't really maybe all see eye to eye or fully agree. So he's asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? And this is a story we've all heard. So I want you to really try to hear it or read it with fresh eyes tonight. Um, There's so much here. I get something out of this every time I read it. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this was super shocking. Okay, the people are hearing this. They hear the whole, who is my neighbor? And at least some of them who had been in the circles of thinking about what the scriptures meant, they would have been listening. Ooh, how is Jesus going to answer this? Is he going to say the Jewish people? Is he going to say all humankind? Is he going to say those um, that you know really well? You know, and um, he doesn't really say any of that because Jesus hardly ever answers a direct question. And that's awesome, I think. And he answers with this parable, a parable we've heard and one that if it's not shocking to you today, you didn't really hear it because he says there was a man, he was in a great need. His life might have ended otherwise, probably would have. And two, the two people who should have helped him just went by. And there's a whole sermon on this about why did they go by? They were scared. Okay, whatever. But they didn't help him. But there was a person who did. And he was a Samaritan, someone that those people thought very little of. So that would have been shocking in its own way. But it goes even further because it doesn't just say that the man helped him. Okay, if Jesus had just said a third guy, the Samaritan, helped him, they would have been probably still really shocked. But he goes on and he says several things. Took him, he put him on his own donkey. So if that guy's on his donkey, what's the Samaritan doing? Walking, which means you're going slower, which means you're in more danger. And when you're going a long ways, I would rather ride a donkey than walk. All right? And I had a donkey. Still have one, so I can tell you this from experience. Um, so he takes him to the inn. That costs money. He leaves money and says, hey, if you got to do stuff later on, I'll cover it. So this was a Samaritan who had some resources. We can't look into this and say, well, that guy probably had a lot of money, so it was no big deal for him to do this. This was enough money that it was a big deal. And so there was a cost involved. All right, and then the last thing is he, ans- he, he said which one of these was a neighbor to the man who was injured, not... How who, he's answering this this question, who is my neighbor, in almost kind of like a backwards way than maybe how they were expecting it. And the answer says, the one who had mercy on him. Now, uh, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. No big deal. Just anytime you see Betty in any need, just do whatever it takes to help them, even if it's a cost to yourself. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, hey, people who you think very lowly of, can do this. You, you, even more, if you're an expert in the law, should do this. So there's a lot of, like, charged language here that we maybe don't get in this age, all right? But even that, I'm not as, that's really not the whole point of why I share this parable. Um, there's one word in here that just jumps out at me more than any other. And it's a word that 
I would say for whatever reason, but I know that it's God. Um, it's a word that has been jumping out at our church for years. And if you listen, you're going to hear it almost every single Saturday. And it comes from the most interesting of places. We're going to hear it in the story of the Smiths. We hear it when Ramon speaks. We hear it when we go to the closed closet, when we do neighborhood table. And that word is mercy. Again, mercy is something that's all through the Bible. So if you were to Google, and this is kind of a challenge, not a challenge, it's like homework. Of course I got to give homework, right? But I'm not going to check it, so, you know, you could do it if you want. But mercy, if you go into your concordance in your Bible, or if you Google this in some kind of Bible app, there are a ton of verses on mercy, starting in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, this idea of mercy was definitely something people had or didn't have towards each other. But it's mostly something we see in the scriptures where people are saying, God, have mercy on me. Do something for me that I cannot do for myself, whether that's live, get food, have our people finally land on a home. Um, But mercy is something that these people, this is a word they knew. This is why this law expert used it. It's another one of those words that I think gets lost on us today because at least in terms of our physical needs, we're not pleading with anybody on a daily basis for mercy. Um, A lot of the needs I know I have personally tend to be more emotional or I'm saying, God have mercy on me. I don't know what to do in this situation, which is fine. We gotta thank God for those blessings that I'm not saying, God have mercy on me. People are trying to kill me and um, I need you to have mercy on me. Although that is still happening today. So this idea of mercy, I mean, I'm just kind of, just because I want to see if y'all are awake. Like, give me a show of hands. Do y'all feel like this word mercy is showing up a whole lot? Do y'all remember that Richard Beck quote from that Adam had up there last week? Um, I couldn't say it if I tried, um, but it was awesome. And that was not part of my notes. So it makes me want to go back and look at it. (laughs) What was it, Adam? Oh, he's got to look it up. That makes me feel better. No, you don't have to look up the whole thing. So, um, if this idea of who is my neighbor, how do I love them, that language is used so much, so what we can think of instead is, what is mercy? How are we going to show mercy to the people around us? How are we going to love our neighbors? We're going to show mercy on them. And so, let's think about it like this. One thing I do remember, and it's also in my notes here, um, In the summer, Adam preached on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the mercifuls, for they will be shown mercy. And he said, mercy is the marriage of empathy and compassion. It's not just being nice or having pity on someone. So in the parable of the Good Samaritan, did you all hear that phrase? He took pity on him. Um, But that wasn't where it stopped. It went into action. And so... um, Mercy is something that we are pretty poor in a lot of the times, okay? So then we got to think about who's rich in mercy. That's Jesus. He's so rich in mercy, he can, he can help us receive that mercy for others, for ourselves, and for others. Um, mercy is something that starts with emotion but moves on to action. So I want you to think about this. And I don't want you just to think, like, in theory. I want you to think, we're at clothes closet, we're at neighborhood table, 
You're talking to your literal neighbors or other figurative neighbors in your life. And I want you to think about this idea of mercy. If we only have the emotion of mercy, if we only have that compassion, our heart, our heart strings are pulled. But there's never any action. What does that look like? Do you see that in your own life? It's very easy to see it in other people, by the way. Like something that comes to my mind is when people go, my thoughts and prayers are with you. That's not a bad thing to say. It's a nice thing to say. Hopefully you're actually praying for them because I don't know if that's always happening. But that doesn't mean a lot to someone who's going through a severe depression in their life, someone who just got divorced, someone who lost someone in their family. Um, And I want you to think about how this how you're doing this. Are there times when you're having mercy, but it really just stops that emotion? I know I do it. I mean, I've been convicted about this for weeks because I've known I was going to preach this. And I want you to think about if you just have action, you get that heartstring and you go, well, I got to do something. I got to help them. All right? But you don't really have the empathy. You don't really have the compassion. It started, but you got so quick into the action that the, the emotion of it is gone. The reason why you're f- taking mercy out on this person is gone. How long does your love last for them? Think about it like this. If you lend money to someone who's in need, what do you do when they go and brag about something expensive that they bought. It doesn't even have to be expensive. Just something they bought that you're like, you shouldn't have bought that. I just loaned you money. Or I gave you money. I helped you out. And now you're going to do this. That shows our heart. And it is natural, but it's something we've got to deal with. So who is my neighbor? This was kind of the question. There's lots of fun quotes. And I'm not really going to share any of those quotes. Because I really want to just stick with what Jesus said. Um, but here at the neighborhood church, we really consider everybody to be our neighbor. If that wasn't clear, it's not just our church members. It really is everybody. It's the people in our church. It's the people outside of our church. It's the people in these neighborhoods. It's the people in our work. It's our families. It's our roommates. Um, and they all have needs. And sometimes we're going to be able to fill those needs. And sometimes they're going to, they're going to fill our own needs. And so you're a neighbor to others as they are to you. And this is why we named our church the Neighborhood Church. So I want to say something. And this is very convicting for me. So I don't know if it will be for you. It might not be. I don't know. Um, Here are some names we did not give our church. It's kind of whatever. We did not call ourselves the Charity Church. We did not call ourselves... The Sympathy for All Types of People Church. We didn't call ourselves the Thoughtful Learn About Jesus Church. And all of those things, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. All right? But the name of our church, and we were at a point where we realized we were going to give ourselves a new name, and it really needed to encompass who God was leading us to be. It really wasn't who we were at the time. It was who God was bringing us into. We named ourselves the Neighborhood Church, and 
every day I just think, man, that was God intervening on that, showing us who we needed to be. And so if you're kind of in a spot where you're like, okay, that guy's my neighbor. How do I love them? Do you have a question? Yeah, that's my next question right here. How do we show mercy to each other? So this is where reading the Good Samaritan story really shows us. It kind of gives us a blueprint, which I'm going to go back over. We have to pay attention. That Samaritan saw someone was in need. What he could have done is just said, I don't want to see it. If I don't see it, it's not happening. Okay? He saw, which means he was alert, he was open, he was paying attention. And he saw that guy as a person. The other two people saw that guy as an obstacle. They saw him as as something that might bring them away from God. They might become unclean. He saw him as a person. So we got to see each other as people. We got to really see each other as people. When you think about the travesties of our country or human history, the worst things that have happened that human beings have done to other human beings, most of those happened because people didn't see the other as a person. They saw him as an other or a less than, an outsider. I hope, yeah, I hope that there, if there was a Christian, they would have shown mercy. And, and I think that for us as Christians, people who call themselves Christians, I think there's going to be times where we live this out. And I think there's going to be times where we miss it, where we weren't paying attention, where we didn't. I think, hopefully you see people as people, but um, where you don't show mercy because you're not even in the headspace to know what that person's need is. Or you're thinking, I got to deal with this. I have this problem, and I'm going to show this person love. I got to be a good teacher or a good whatever you do for a living. So you don't even see it. Um, The Samaritan to this man, he brought an outsider in, and this is kind of what we're called to as Christians, bringing outsiders in, using our power and resources to help those who don't have any um, or who... They don't have something that we have. I have been so strongly blessed by some of the people at the clothes closet because I, in my own mind, was so just buzzing about all the things that need to be done. And someone walks in, a Christian walks in for our services, but they just look at me and they say, honey, you need to just calm down. It's fine. It's a glorious day. Praise God. I'm homeless, but praise God. And they're showing me mercy. They're giving me something that I couldn't muster up in my own heart. The last thing, and this is kind of the most important thing, like when we think about practical, is embracing the cost. Um, there was a big cost in the, for the Good Samaritan. I want you to think about the last time you had a cost of loving your neighbor. If it has been a while then we're going to have just a reflection here in just a moment, and I hope that God can kind of show you what you need to do. Um, But embracing that cost. We take on the cost, but we don't always embrace it. Sometimes we go, ooh, that cost, pretty high. I'll do it, I guess. And then I'll be mad about it later. 
So if nothing I've said is convicting to you, um, I want to give you just a few verses. Um, I'm not saying you should walk out of here feeling horrible, because I think that God has really led us into a new life of loving neighbor, and I see this happening in all of you all the time. Um, But I know that God doesn't just stop with the bare minimum. He wants to take us further. We miss out when we don't do it. Um, Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So if we're in Jesus, if we're Christians, the Holy Spirit is in us. And a fruit of that should be love. Love for God, love for our neighbor, love for everybody. And I'm going to give you just a few verses that I'm not going to go into. Um, But if you look at the New Testament in Romans chapter 13, um, it talks about love fulfilling the law. And that had to be written because that church struggled with that. And we struggle with it. We struggle with what's the right and wrong thing to do. And not necessarily what's the most loving thing to do. In Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 13, they talk about life by the Spirit. And in James 2, um, that whole section of text is talking about favoritism being forbidden in the church. Because it was happening. And this is something we need to be aware of as well. So thinking about kind of going back to closed closet, because it wouldn't be me up here if we weren't going to really talk about closed closet in the neighborhood table. And so this is where I see a lot of the people in our church truly loving neighbor. Um, but our how matters. So if we only have four people serving at the closed closet or we only have three people serving at the closed closet, we really miss out on what God's calling us to do. When you only have three people serving, it's really hard to pay attention, see the need, meet the need, or even know what the cost is going to be. We can't do that. We can't sit and pray with someone and even find out what their needs are. And so I would encourage you, church, just as we go through, not out of guilt or anything, but just wanting to be on God's mission is to really make sure that when we have closed closet that we get our people there. Um, Because I've seen it firsthand, what it looks like when we have three people there versus when we have ten people there. And getting to see, like, Jeremiah once. Where's Jeremiah? Oh, there you are. I was expecting you over here. Where Jeremiah was, um, he got to really sit and listen to this guy who had a lot to say one time. This guy wanted to talk, and he talked, I think, for like 30 minutes about his life. I don't know if you remember this, but um, that, those are the kind of things that happen that God goes, I'm going to use this. Um, and that's something that we can do. We're not going to raise a million dollars to do anything, probably, but we can do this. God's called us to it, and I want us to, you know really take advantage of these opportunities. At neighborhood table, um, again, if we don't have the people there, or if the people there are really busy serving the food, we really miss out on the opportunity to talk with people, get to know someone side by side, not as a servant, okay, but just get to know them, bring them into our community, make the outsider feel like an insider, make them an insider. Um, By the way, in Luke, 
what follows. Did anybody read ahead? Sometimes I read ahead in the scriptures when I have my Bible open. Did anybody see what the very next story is right after the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's at the home of Martha and Mary, which is a whole other story about spending time with Jesus versus working, and I'm not going to get into all that. So, there's going to be another slide here with some questions, and I do want to give just some time for you to write them down, talk about them in your neighborhood groups this week, Um, really let God work on your heart, Um, think about how God shows mercy to you, how has Jesus shown mercy to you, not just you people, you humans, you, you for real, just you. How has Jesus shown you mercy? How has God shown you mercy? How have other people shown you mercy? What has loving neighbors looked like in your life? Where are the places where the words have lost meaning? And I'm going to read our core conviction one more time. It says, we commit to love others as ourselves regardless of race, background, ethnicity, orientation, or status. And I ask myself a question. Is there a specific person or type of people that I struggle to love? And the answer to that is, of course. It would be a lie to say that I love all people equally and holy. It changes throughout our lives. But there are people, even if it's just a specific person at your work or in your family, that's hard for you to love. I like to say it like this, the real deal. I use this phrase a lot. Like, what's the real deal? Like, when it all said and done, The real deal is, how are we going to live this out in our church? And so, these questions like, which of my neighbors are difficult for me to love? It's not a matter of, are some of my neighbors difficult to love? It's which ones? If they're not coming to your mind now, they will this week. Okay? (laughs) If you think about it long enough, people will come to your mind. Um, And a lot of times, those are the people that no one wants to love. Who's going to love them if we don't? Who's going to show them Jesus if we don't? What are the opportunities for me to show mercy to others? And for me personally, I think, what am I afraid of? Where's the cost that I'm not willing to pay up on? It may be time. It may be money. It may be the time that you spend away from your own family. Um, or it may just being uncomfortable. But if you push, if you really deal with those fears, you'll see the opportunities. There's so many. Where's the Holy Spirit leading me to love my neighbors? And so this is, there's an obvious answer to this, which is what we're already doing, what God has already called us to do at The Rock. Um, but there's so many different ministries there to keep going. We had certain things at the rock. We had the clothes closet. And then Rebecca Knight goes, these people need toiletries. We're going to do toiletries now. And I got to say, I was a little skeptical that we could keep that up, to be honest. Because at the time, we were having trouble just filling people and getting it all just done. And it has been really awesome. So that's awesome. And then we had the neighborhood table. So I think a year from now, what else is God going to call us to? If we're not paying attention to the needs, we won't see it. And God can call someone else in to do it. 
but we won't be there to do it, and we will miss out. Um, so here's a challenge. If something has come up in your mind, a specific person, or maybe it is a ministry, I don't know. I want you to really lean into it this week. I want you to write it down, think about it. If you're sitting there going, I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? I want you to be like the Samaritan. You're walking along this dangerous path, okay? This world is a dangerous path. There are people who are really hurting in your life. If not physically, emotionally, mentally, there are people in your life that are hurting so bad. Look for it. Pay attention. See the need. If you can meet it, meet it. If you can't meet it, walk with them side by side as they hurt and you figure it out together. I can't see that God puts these commandments in. Love God, love neighbor. And it comes up so much in the Bible if it wasn't such an important thing. Um, So I would just encourage you, church, to lean into that. And as I am going to end, and by the way, Adam kind of ate into my time a little bit. It's okay, Adam. So I am going a little over. I love you, Adam. I loved everything you said. I know. But um, I'm going to pray. Embrace the cost. I'm just kidding. I'm going to pray. And um, as I pray, I want you to really ask God. Um, It kind of got brought up about the charismatic thing. Something a lot of us in our childhood church experiences is not asking Holy Spirit, change me. And I would encourage you to do that tonight. Ask the Holy Spirit to really show you what this looks like in your own life. Um, So God, you have loved us before we were born, before we were here. You have shown us what love is. And I pray, God, that we would understand um, how to love you, how to love others, what it looks like in our life tonight, tomorrow, this week, and as a community. And I pray, God, that as you lead us into these things that you're calling us as a church, Lord, that you would just give us the resources, give us the energy, open our eyes, let us see what you want us to see. And when we see things that look scary or uncomfortable, I pray, God, that you would be there to comfort us and to just guide us on, urge us on. Thank you, Jesus, so much for showing us what mercy looks like. And I pray, Lord, that we would love our neighbors, that we'd be faithful to what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, we pray. We have been given this new week in which to honor the God who is easy to love by loving the neighbors who are sometimes difficult to love. Not in our own strength are we so commanded, but in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and in the love of the Lord Jesus through whom all things are possible. Go on your way rejoicing, and the blessing of the living God will always be yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.